Our topic, the Christian work ethic, a very important topic in our day when uh, oh, oh, 47, 48% of Americans are receiving government aid of some kind. The Christian work ethic, and I'm going to read a couple of passages. <clears throat> Exodus 20, verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Proverbs 26.13-16, the lazy man says there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion is in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so the lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hand in his bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. If we will look at history objectively, we will notice that the areas of the world where biblical Christianity was prominent And we're talking about biblical Protestantism. Areas where the biblical world and life view of Protestant Christianity, what is really Orthodox Christianity, these are the areas where economic prosperity and great strides in science, technology, medicine, agriculture, etc. have taken place. And that's even acknowledged by secular uh, scientists and sociologists. For example, Max Weber's famous work, uh, I think it was called the Protestant work ethic. Eastern non-Christian lands have noticed this prosperity and have Im imitated the West to a degree in order to try to obtain this prosperity and material progress, notably um, Japan in the late 1800s and also China later. <clears throat> they said the West has something we don't have. They're making real progress. We have to imitate the West. Today we're going to look at the biblical view of work and see why a Christian work ethic is important. We'll begin by going back to the creation account in Genesis. <coughs> okay, so these are pre-fall creation ordinances. They apply to all men, but they can only be fulfilled after the fall through Christ. In the beginning after the creation was completed, but Eve was not yet created. This is very interesting. Eve doesn't exist yet. God made Adam the first man and placed him in the Garden of Eden. Now the earth and the Garden of Eden belongs to God. God created it. And God placed Adam in the Garden with specific commands and, of course, a test. You can eat of all the trees of the Garden. You can't eat from this one tree. Adam was under God's authority. And at that time, there was no sin or death. The animals lived in perfect harmony. They ate fruit and nuts and grasses and so forth. If Adam followed God's word and did not fail the test, he eventually would have been given a glorified body that could not sin. And he and his descendants would inherit the whole earth as God's uh, faithful children. Okay, that's the pre-fall plan. 
Now, the first duty given to Adam by God is related to work. Genesis 2.15 God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. Genesis 2.15 Now the word tend, which is abad, abad, is the normal Hebrew verb meaning to serve. The garden was not created to be alone, as if nature was sacred, or nature is to be worshipped, this idea that, you know, man is a scourge to the earth and it would be best if we just got rid of man altogether. That's a very common view today. <clears throat> the natural order was created for man. The verb meaning to serve or to work, sometimes paraphrased as cultivate, indicates that man serves God before the fall by his daily work or service to the garden. There's no sin. It's paradise. And what is man's task? Is it to lay around? No. It's to work. This implies that man is not here to rape or exploit or destroy the natural order, but to work it as a servant of God who cares for God's gift of creation. Serve it. Nurture it. Improve it. It's not to be exploited or raped. Now the second word, translated as tend or keep, which is semar, has the basic, me basic meaning or to exercise great care over. And it is used in synonymous parallelism in Hebrew poetry with the word meaning to protect. <clears throat> Man is to tend the garden in such a way as to guard, protect, and nurture it. And we all, anybody who among us, uh, we do gardening. My wife especially does a lot of gardening. You know, you, you want to protect it. You want to protect, of course, before the fall, this wasn't, a, it wasn't very hard. But after the fall, you have to protect it from certain insects and you have to pull out the weeds and you have to prune and you have to do all these things and fertilize and water and all these things. You're nurturing it. You're protecting it. The focus is on man's protecting, nurturing, and caring over the creation, which is God's gift not on exploiting or using it in any way that man in any way that man sees fit. So when these guys would go out in trains in the West and they'd shoot thousands of buffalo just for the fun of it. Or people who hunt and kill stuff but they don't use the meat and they don't they don't use it as just sickly for fun. That's sinful. That's wicked. When men um do mining or, or extract oil and they simply pollute the land and destroy life, that's unbiblical. Clearly unbiblical. <clears throat> this point is important for modern atheists and New Age mystics view the biblical view of creation and man's original role as the cause of the abuse and exploitation of the earth, and there's many articles written, especially by modernists and, and mystics, that it's the, the dominion mandate in the Bible that where man has 
is to subdue the earth and have rule over the animals. And we're taught that this is the reason that the West exploits the earth and pollutes the land and, and destroys it. No, that's not true at all. They don't understand the scriptures at all, what the Bible actually teaches. Yes, we're to extract gold and we're to extract jewels and we're to extract things that we need to live. But we're to do it in such a way as to protect and nurture the earth. If you have a mine and you have to dig a big hole for the mine, then when you're done, you fill the hole up and you landscape it so you can't tell that man was there. You want to improve it. They have set up the fallacy of black and white, which says that if the earth is not worshipped as sacred, as something more important than man himself, <clears throat> then, man will, then man will mistreat the earth. That's the fallacy of black and white. You know, this idea that, you know, we're going to set aside these lands, and man's not even allowed to step foot on those lands. That's what, that's what uh, the Sierra Club and these kind of, you know, the Greens, the environmentalists, which are a bunch of left-wing lunatics, a bunch of communists, that's what they believe. And that's nonsense. Man is to use the land, but he's to nurture it and not abuse it. Consequently, man is viewed as almost a cancer on the earth. <clears throat> no, the earth is God's creation, and it is man's responsibility to tend the earth and exercise great care for it, because God created it very good, and God wants us to treat his creation with respect and consideration. Well, there are a number of things about man's responsibility to work under God in this verse that we need to consider first. Physical labor or work is not a consequence of sin. Sin doesn't exist yet. And yet man is told to work. In fact, he's told to work six days a week. The seventh day is the day of rest. It's God's Sabbath, rest and worship. God created man to work, and if man had never sinned, he would still be required to work six days a week. The fall resulted in thorns and briars and those things that make work much more difficult and tedious. And once again, anybody who gardens understands this. Weeds grow beautifully, even if you don't water them. And they invade, and they take over. That's part of the fall. Mosquitoes bite you. There's biting insects. There's insects that you, there's certain crops you plant, and you got to watch them like a hawk, or they'll be devoured by insects. That's all part of the fall. <clears throat> Work by the sweat of one's brow is greatly hampered due to the effects of the fall on nature without us and the sinful nature within us. Because work has become so much more difficult due to the fall. And men have so often been oppressive as rulers and business owners. <clears throat> men view paradise um, as people being on a permanent vacation. That's the way paradise is viewed. You know, somebody lounging, sitting, eating grapes. Paradise is seen as man spending his time in idyllic, interrupted leisure, uninterrupted leisure, and fun activities. That is with no demands on his daily schedule. 
such thinking, beloved, is pagan and hedonistic. It's not the biblical view. Work is a good thing. If it's lawful work, done to God's glory. Work has a crucial place and must not be viewed as a punishment for sin. Work is more difficult due to sin, but work has always been commanded, and it's proper. Martin Luther, the great reformer, emphasized the priesthood of all believers, and he taught that everyone's calling in life was important and must be respected. We're talking about lawful callings, obviously. Whether you're a plumber or electrician, or a doctor or a lawyer, whatever you do, it's important. But you have to do it to God's glory, and you have to do it under biblical law. Second, faithful work under God and his holy law must be viewed as God's call and, therefore, as meaningful. It has meaning. Here's what, what Rush Dooney says. <clears throat> Man was sinless, but untrained and untooled. He was also naked. His task was to till the soil and prune the fruit trees of the Garden of Eden and to name the animals a scientific task, since naming in the Bible means accurate description or classification. Adam's task was a great one. He did have an unfallen nature, so that his mind was much more capable than our fallen minds. Our redemption begins our restoration, which heaven completes. Adam had a problem. Eden had wild animals, great and small. These would quickly reduce the fruit trees and vegetable gardens to nothing, so fencing of some sort was necessary. But Adam was naked and without tools. His task was a heavy one. But somehow he accomplished something. Now remember, Adam's mind is way beyond ours. And he would know what to do way better than a typical person today. <clears throat> but it's true. There's no fall. The animals are not a threat to man physically. The animals aren't killing each other. But you got an animal and it sees a beautiful peach tree. It's going to eat those peaches if it can reach them. So yes, he would have to build some kind of fencing. He was naked and had no shelter. According to verse 6, a heavy dew watered the earth nightly. This made it difficult and unpleasant for a very tired, naked man to rest at night. Thus, it was urgently necessary for Adam to build some kind of primitive structures, shelters, probably a lean-to, for sleeping purposes. Clearly, Adam's life was one of hard work. God was testing him to enable him to learn how to use his abilities and to exercise dominion in a hard, primitive sense. To do so required knowledge. To do his job faithfully meant obeying God and recognizing the righteousness or justice of God's plan. All this meant a radical separation unto God and his calling. This was Adam's holiness. <clears throat> From the first day, man had a choice. He could obey or disobey God. If he took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, verse 17, it meant death. Eat of it, you shall die, Adam was told. The process of death would begin in him. He would serve God, for Adam could seek freedom, or Adam could seek freedom from God. The Garden of Eden was a pilot project in how man was to subdue the earth and exercise dominion over it. 
Man began his life naked with no shelter and with no tools. His task was to develop the earth and to create wealth. End of quote. So let's get this idea out of our head that the Adam and Eve was just uh, walking around naked, picking fruit, chilling out all day. No, Adam had to develop tools. He had to build structures. He had to build fencing. He had to develop the earth. And of course, with his mind, and of course, he lived to be 900 and some years, even after the fall, um, he would get a lot done. And by the time Adam died, uh, the amount of things that men had, had invented the wheel, carts, using animals uh, to pull things and to plow. Um, musical instruments were invented. All kinds of tools were invented. So man made progress. And then third, this is interesting. Adam was given the duty of meaningful work before he was given Eve as his wife. In addition, as we've noted, Adam was given the scientific task of naming and classifying the animals before his marriage to Eve. I think part of that, of course, is Adam was to see there's male and female this, male and female that animal, and, and they procreate. And animals to see, hey, I'm, I'm alone. There's something wrong. I need, I need my counterpart. But it was a scientific task. A man is supposed to have a calling and, <coughs> excuse me, and demonstrate his skills before he gets married. The assignment of godly dominion or the cultural mandate was given to a covenant head even before there was a family. Then after Adam was given Eve and became married by God, the cultural mandate is stated even more fully for children are necessary for godly dominion to extend throughout time and a wife is necessary as a helpmeet in man's task of godly dominion. For God intended for the earth to be covered by mankind, and this required continuity through time. And then fourth, the goal of work goes beyond mere survival, for it is connected by God to the dominion or cultural mandate. Presbyterians like to call it the dominion mandate. Dutch theologians like to call it the cultural mandate. Both are totally proper. <clears throat> 128. God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, and said to them, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, bear rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living, moving creature on earth. <clears throat> Man is to exercise dominion and subdue the earth to the glory of God. Adam and his wife. Man and his wife. At this point before the fall, this dominion do, does not allow man to kill animals or to use their flesh as food or leather for clothing. God does not allow the eating of meat until Noah. So still at this point, there is no killing of animals other than for sacrifice with Cain. I mean Abel. Before Noah, clean animals were killed only for blood sacrifice. Now whether their skins were used for food, uh, probably not because uh, the burnt offering. Work 
fertility and monogamous heterosexual marriage and dominion, which are all established by God before sin, are all placed together. The long-term goal of this cultural mandate, this dominion mandate, is a godly, God-glorifying civilization. And these duties, of course, continue after the fall. But due to the curse on the ground and man's sinful nature, truly godly dominion can now only be achieved through Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. It's restated. The dominion mandate will be restated to Noah and his children after they get in his wife and children after they get off the ark, but with a salvific bent. And then, of course, it is restated again in the uh, great commission given by Jesus Christ. Godly dominion can only come through pre the preaching of the gospel and the whole counsel of God, uh, and the church is necessary to bring that about. Redeem man's work is to glorify God and apply his law to every area of life. <clears throat> he is not to attempt to recreate paradise or use technology to eliminate all work. The redeemed man puts Christ first in all things and abides by God's law. Therefore, he views his calling, his work, his duty under God as the path to godly dominion. Okay, so are we here to serve our pleasures? No. Are we here simply to have a good time and party, go to the beach? No, there's a place for relaxation. There's a place for resting. There's a, there is a place for having fun. But we're here to work. To glorify God through our work. And then fifth. <clears throat> by way of application, work under God's law should seek to protect and prosper life under God, not curse or harm it. Godly work, to a degree, helps undo, to a degree, the effects of the fall. The development of medicine, the development of agriculture, the development of things that can help man prosper and gain wealth. If we look at work through the biblical world and life view, we will see that there are really only three ways that men can gain wealth. There's only three ways. Number one, men can inherit, can inherit money or property through their parents, grandparents, or relatives. Now, Adam, in a sense, was given an inheritance by God. He was placed, the earth belongs to God, but God was letting Adam live there and use it. And it, in a sense, became his as God's son. And I'm not talking about in the sense of Christ, who's God's son through eternity. Adam was given a rich, beautiful garden, rich in fruits, nuts, vegetables, and lands with great mineral wealth, including all sorts of beautiful gemstones. He had all sorts of fruit trees, grasses, natural building materials to create beautiful structures, living spaces, workshops, architecture, farm implements. He could develop great works of art and music as well. His great inheritance was not a reason to relax and focus on leisure, but came with a special responsibility. The Bible says that the godly man, and I should have wrote down, it's from the Proverbs, a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. 
That would be, and if you compare Scripture with Scripture, that would be the faithful children that are serving God. You leave an inheritance to them. Well, that goes completely counter to the way the world thinks. The world thinks you go out and you have you retire and you go out and you have fun and you spend your money before you die. And you might leave a little something to them, but you want to go spend your money. And of course, statism, the state wants to confiscate as much of that money as possible for the state. He could develop great works of art and music as well. His great inheritance was a reason, not a... Uh, <clears throat> he could develop great works of art and music as well. His great inheritance was not a reason to relax and focus on leisure, but came with a special responsibility. The Bible says that the godly leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The point of the inheritance is to reward godly children and continue godly dominion through the faithful covenantal seed. You develop an estate, you develop capital, and then when you die, that capital, that estate, goes on to the godly children. And they, they have an advantage now. They stand on the shoulders of what went before them, and they have a great advantage. And if you go to Europe, you know, there's, there's castles and houses and lands that have been passed down for over a thousand years in certain families. Statism has basically gotten rid of that because, in, especially in Europe, almost everything goes to the state because the state proclaims itself to be God. Number two, so you can inherit money. Number two, one can gain wealth through intelligence and hard work. Adam had to use his mind to come up with ideas regarding tools, fencing, building a house, structures, agriculture, etc. He had to work hard to implement these ideas. So you want intelligent work. The goal of good ideas and inventiveness is not to escape work, but to make work more effective and rewarding. Modern societies have always had a great respect for inventors, you know, Thomas Edison, Tesla. For even though man is now fallen and sinful, the, the inner desire for dominion continues. The problem with unbelievers is that dominion is used to glorify man and not God, and it is used to serve sin and not Jesus Christ. Think of Facebook, for example run by an evil, wicked man who spent $450 million supporting Democrat causes in the last election. That is, murdering babies, stealing people's money, rewarding sloth, and uh, you name it, perverted sex, all kinds of things. So the purpose of wealth is to serve God with it and to use it to, God, to glorify God, not to serve sinful man. And then number three, one can attempt to gain wealth through theft. Those are the only three ways. You can inherit it, you can work hard and build it up, or you can steal it. This is a very popular way to get wealth in our day. 
We're not simply talking about <coughs> common methods of theft, such as robbery, burglary, fraud, extortion, false weights and measures, but also modern socialistic schemes of egalitarianism, where the state uses its coercive power to take away from some and give it to others. And they do that to buy votes. They do that for political power. Theft is the quick, easy, but evil and illegitimate way to gain wealth. That's what the mafia does. That's what the modern state does. Now, taxes are legitimate to pay for the police, to pay for the military, perhaps, perhaps maintaining roads and things like that, which are needed for the military and commerce and so forth. But the state does not have the right to steal from the rich to give to the poor. All schemes based on theft do not create wealth or advanced knowledge and dominion, but redistribute it and or in the process destroys it. Theft is not simply a transfer of wealth, but is an attack on the lawfully, lawful, godly manner of gaining wealth. It's an attack on God's method of gaining wealth, which of course is inheritance and hard work. You want to pass on what you've done, you can't take it with you, you pass it on to godly children. Well, the state, the Democrats, if they could, would take 80-90% of that money. If they could, if they could take, if they could take all of it, they would. Believe me. Unlawful taxation based on concepts of egalitarianism—that is, the uh, Ill e equality of outcome, irrespective of one's personal use of intelligence and hard work—penalizes lawful work and rewards sloth, stupidity, and immorality. Most people, the, the problem with poverty, poverty is something that people cause. They bring on themselves. It's not due to exploitation. Now, some people, you know, there's a calamity. Some, a man might get in an accident and break his back or something. Yeah, that could bring poverty. And then they should be helped by their, by their family and then, of course, their extended family and then, if need be, the church. But most of poverty is caused simply by laziness and sloth and immorality. Having babies out of wedlock, for example. <clears throat> In societies based on state theft and egalitarianism, everyone suffers in the long run, including the poor. For a toleration and even praise of theft is a great disincentive to inventiveness and hard work. Why should I work harder on my property and building wealth if the government's going to take it away and give it to somebody who's sitting around smoking pot watching soap operas? or cranking out illegitimate kids and smoking crack. It's a great disincentive, and it makes everybody poor. Look at Venezuela, look at Cuba, look at the Soviet Union. The path to wealth through theft, even theft using the state as the course of power, is the satanic, wicked method of dominion. It is the basis of the mob, all wars, Hitler wanted people's lands, it wasn't his land. Marxism, socialism, welfare statism, and 
the Democratic Party, sad to say. The Democratic Party is a satanic whore. And its whole reason for existence is to steal. They're like the mafia. They reward their own. They don't prosecute their own. They're corrupt as all can be. It originated with Satan in the garden when Satan lied to Eve and told her not to trust God, but instead embraced human autonomy and self-law. Instead of trusting God and working hard for godly dominion over time, Eve sought blessing and dominion immediately by rejecting God's word and simply taking the forbidden fruit that did not belong to her. Satan said to her, hey, look, God's lying to you. You can make up your own law, make up your own rules. He doesn't want you to eat that fruit. He doesn't want you to have the blessing of this great fruit. Just go ahead and take it. Well, it wasn't Eve's to take. The Marxist and socialist views work as exploitation of the capitalist. Man is enslaved by work and must be freed from work by the state. <clears throat> but work is our calling from God. God placed a curse on the earth. Genesis 3.17-19 Causing work to be difficult, dangerous, and unpleasant. Drudgerous in some respects. The curse exists and man frets and revolts against work. Men in their rebellion and hatred of work seek someone to blame for their plight. The communist or socialists capitalize on the frustration and blame everything on those terrible capitalists. You know, those, those, those corporations, those oil companies, those drug companies. If the state hammers them and takes everything they have and redistributes it, we'll have paradise. Well, you won't have drugs for your sickness. You won't have oil for your car. <laughs> it's a complete disaster. Look at Venezuela. The, the number one oil uh, reserves of oil in the world, and people are eating it out of dumpsters. The communists or socialists capitalize on this frustration. They blame everything on the capitalists. The owners of property, the wealthy large farmer, the factory owner, the man, uh, the man who saved and borrowed and purchased the machinery, the corporations. They are told that they can achieve freedom if they will side with the revolutionaries who want to redistribute, confiscate, and abolish those evil capitalists. Happened in Rhodesia. It's happening to a degree in South Africa. It happened in Cuba. And what did it do? It destroyed wealth. And it brought famine. It brought poverty, great poverty. Because you don't want to punish the producers. <laughs> you don't want to punish the people that work hard and use their minds and create wealth. That's not a good thing to do. There's nothing wrong with creating wealth. If you don't steal, if you don't cheat, if you're honest. If you don't want to work, for 12 bucks an hour or whatever it is at Walmart or whatever, you don't have to. That's called freedom. They, it's, it's called free market economics. But with communism, the state says, you're going to work here. This is what we're going to pay you. Take it or we'll put you in a gulag or we'll shoot you. They are told that the solution to the, their frustration is theft on a massive scale. <clears throat> the complete turning of society upside down. 
the Marxists and the Socialists rejects the biblical doctrine of the fall and the moral law of God. Their ethic is rooted in macroevolutionary theory, where nature is red in tooth and claw. If you study Karl Marx, he was so happy with Darwin and macroevolutionary theory because he said this is really the basis, that became the whole basis of his philosophy. He saw everything as conflict. And the purpose of the, the Marxist wants to grab power and control everything through raw power. They teach that everything is based on class conflict. And of course, it's been morphed, and in our day, it's all, it's basically race, not just simply class conflict, but race conflict. Those evil whites, those evil white racists. They preach alienation based on a made-up injustice where discontent and covetousness is combined with self-righteousness. Their spiritual blindness and radical hypocrisy exhibits itself on a grand scale. And when they get power, they destroy the economy and they enslave the masses. All in the name of love and compassion for the poor. The freedom of capitalism under biblical law, it's got to be under biblical law. There can't be cheating. There can't be fraud. Is replaced by the state acting as God, stealing at will, <coughs> defining its own immoral system of ethics, and seeking absolute control over man. The biblical methodology of personal responsibility, obedience to God and his moral law, and progressive dominion through hard work is replaced by faith in the all-powerful state and state theft on a massive scale. One of the popular concepts today of modern socialists, the, the, the so-called progressives, is they want to give everybody a state, an income from the state, irregardless of what you're doing. Well, where do they think wealth comes from? What, are they just going to print it? Which is what they're kind of doing now? Well, when you do that, you destroy the dollar. They believe that you can have, uh, you can take stones and turn them into bread. Only Christ can do that. Theft is defined as justice, fairness, equality. But in reality, they are the acts of a corrupt mafia state. You Christians, you need to understand the Democrats, now the Republicans are bad, but the, the Democrats are downright evil to the core. Everything they stand for is satanic. Socialism, welfare statism is satanic. It's all based on theft. The state's role is protect the borders, have a good military to protect from you know, invasion, and law and order. Their job is not to get into welfare. Well, let's just summarize this and we'll move on. The biblical view, everything belongs to God. Socialism, everything belongs to the state. Biblical view, <clears throat> prosperity is through hard work under biblical law. Hard work plus covenant faithfulness. Socialism, Prosperity is through state power, redistribution, regulations, punishment of capital and capitalists. The biblical view, the goal of work is godly dominion or a Christian civilization. Socialism, the goal of work is to serve the state in its goal of egalitarianism. 
that is equality of outcome irrespective of one's ethics or commitment to hard work. <laughs> I'll never forget. I think it was Nightline, which I don't even know if Nightline's on anymore, but it was Nightline and they did a thing on food stamps in California. And this young man was uh, buying beer and salmon and all these yummy things. He got a bunch of food stamps and he spent his time at the beach surfing, smoking pot. Does he deserve your tax dollars so he can smoke pot and have salmon and drink beer? Of course not. But that's statism. The biblical view. Property, wealth, and capital is left to one's faithful children for godly dominion and covenant continuity. Socialism. Property and wealth should be left to the state for social programs and redistribution. The biblical view. The underlying presupposition is creation by God and transcendent, unchanging moral, unchanging moral laws. <clears throat> In other words, the state is under God's law too. This idea, well, I'm, I'm a politician. I can take your money if I want. I can force you. Uh, you can't evict people if I tell you. They can live in your place for free. And you can go bankrupt because I'm the state. That's all crazy. That's a divination of the state. Well, the socialist view... <clears throat> the underlying philosophy is macroevolution, atheism, and positivistic laws. That is, morality is whatever the state says is moral. If you want to cut off your thing and pretend you're a woman, the state says, well, that's great, that's moral. If you want to be a sodomite pervert and live with gerbils, the state says that's wonderful. Because there's no ethics above the state. The state can define ethics whatever, however it wants. And that, of course, is Satanism. The biblical view. The foundation of the social order is the Christian family. Self-government under biblical law, property and capital under godly heads of households. Socialism. The foundation of the social order is the state who creates law and redistributes wealth. Socialistic states view Christian families who submit to the word of God as their chief enemy. That's true. And if you look at the socialist states, people live in these filthy, really gross apartments, and they work these drudge jobs. They make very little money. There's never enough food or anything because everything is owned by the state, and the state cannot possibly uh, figure out the market without being omniscient. That's what's great about free market economics. Things kind of figure themselves out by supply and demand. They don't believe in supply and demand. They believe in state power. The biblical view. The glue or harmony of society is dependent on submission to God's objective transcendent law. Justice and liberty come from regenerated hearts saved by Christ who then rule themselves by submitting to Scripture. Socialism. The glue or harmony of society is by submitting to an all-powerful state. The state seeks to retain power by teaching alienation, that is, all whites are evil racists, so they are seen, uh, the state are seen as saviors from racism. The status position can only be maintained through lies and propaganda. Okay, why are they make such a big deal out of January 6th, where uh, a small group of idiots had a riot? And they're, they're making it into like Pearl Harbor, because they need a false enemy. 
to justify their own state power and their own coercion and their own uh, arbitrary law. The biblical view. <clears throat> Poverty is dealt with by Christian charity coupled with teaching personal responsibility. The importance of a biblical family structure and the necessity of hard work. The undeserving poor, that is the lazy, the sluggard, the drug addict, the social leech, is not helped at all. Ethics and charity are coupled together. Personal responsibility. Okay, what would happen where, let's say you got L.A. and you go down to the, uh, the Bowery and it's full of drug addicts and they're sitting around shooting heroin and taking drugs all day, living in tents, pooping out on the sidewalk. What would a Christian society do to them? It would be, they would be made into indentured servants. They'd be removed and uh, they would be placed into forced labor away from drugs and they would be given very hard labor until they learned personal responsibility. Then they would be let back back into society. But see, that's seen as unfair because these people are seen as victims. Because in Marxism and modern statism, people are not poor because of taking drugs or being irresponsible or getting somebody pregnant before marriage or, or living immoral. Their people are poor because they're victims. So they can't do that. So what do they do? California spends over $6 billion a a year handing out money and stuff to the, these drug addicts who are out pooping on the streets, leaving needles, uh, robbing people, breaking into cars. Uh, they're a bunch of bums. Now, if somebody loses their job and lose their, they lose their apartment or their house or whatever, what does the Bible say? Well, first the families to help them. Their extended family should help them. If the extended family doesn't help them, the church should help them. It should be private charity. But it shouldn't be the state confiscating people's wealth to give to people who are the undeserving poor. If they can afford drugs, they don't need to live in a tent. Drugs are not, drugs are not cheap. I know, I was a drug dealer back in the day. Drugs are not cheap, especially heroin and cocaine. Well, the socialistic view. Poverty is dealt with by stealing from the, the, the intellectual, hardworking producers, the intelligent, hardworking producers. Charity is seen as degrading, for the poor are poor due to exploitation. So what does a socialist do? Well, ethics are severed from uh, redistribution, and poverty is blamed on the producers. The poor are taught that poverty is not their fault. It is the fault of the wealthy, the producers. The poor are taught to hate the producers and the affluent. Now, are there people who are deserving poor? Yes, there are. Now, I used to work in a welfare office. This is back in the 70s. And uh, I would say less than 1% of the people that are poor are deserving poor. The rest are just leeches. And I know because I'd go over to people's house and you know, they're getting collecting food stamps and they get a welfare check and you go in their house and they've got Heineken in the fridge and they're smoking really good quality weed and they've got really good quality cocaine and uh, they're working a side job where they're getting money under the table. It's just, it's just a scam. They're not the deserving poor. But that is socialism, that's statism. You go to the ghetto. I lived in a ghetto for three years in Philadelphia where people... Uh, 
are wearing $350 leather jackets and they're collecting welfare. And they dress way nicer than I do. Now, what is particularly tragic about the socialist welfare status position is that it buys the poorest loyalty with money stolen from the hardworking, successful people, and by blame shifting, it keeps people in their poverty. Because it says you're not responsible for your poverty. It's the capitalist's fault. It's the corporation's fault. It's not your fault. It's the white man's fault. It's because of racism. Well, who decided to take drugs? You did. Who decided to get girls pregnant before they were married? You did. Who decided to sit around and not seek a job and take drugs and gamble? You did. But it's the white man's fault. Blame shifting keeps people in their poverty. The goal of the left is not to help the poor, but to attain and hold on to political power. Once God's moral law, the duty to work hard and personal responsibility is severed from dealing with poverty, one has guaranteed that poverty will continue. The so-called Great Society of Lyndon Baines Johnson in the 1964-65, the 1960s, the great expansion of welfare programs under Lyndon Johnson increased poverty in America and destroyed the black family. because people were rewarded for having babies out of wedlock. So they did. The more babies you got, the bigger your check. And these, there's, they severed ethics and personal responsibility from charity. Well, it's not charity when it's stolen by the state and given to them. It's theft. They're thieves. America subsidized poverty and rewarded out of birth, wedlock births. <clears throat> well, let's look now it work in godly dominion principles and applications. As we consider our study of the Christian work ethic, we need to look at other aspects, principles, and applications for our edification. And there are a number of things to consider. Number one, well, first, hard work is required by God. Yes, that's true. Yet we must avoid the error of either trying to solve all problems by working harder or by making work and success into an idol. There is no true meaningful work in the long run or godly dominion apart from faith in Jesus Christ and a faithful adherence and habitual obedience to God's law order found in Scripture. There's a lot of men out there who were totally wicked, who work ridiculous amounts of hours and use great intelligence and build giant empires, but they're not doing it to serve Christ. They're doing it for self-exaltation and glory. Now, I hope Donald Trump's a Christian, but he doesn't act like one. Is he way better than the Democrats? Absolutely. But people should not worship Donald Trump. Men who work to simply get rich, exalt themselves, and live in hedonistic luxury are deluded fools on the road to hell. Our work must be used to glorify God, help His church, and especially help Christian family members. 
The goal of statism is to destroy the family as the chief instrument of charity. And of course the church as well. And make everyone dependent on the state. Before the rise of welfare under uh, FDR, the first welfare programs, uh, there were state welfare programs that developed in the early part of the 20th century. There's an excellent book on this by George Grant where he goes through the history of welfare. Uh, almost everything was taken care of by Christian chari charitable organizations. Children born out of wedlock, uh, uh, helping poor families, helping this, helping that. There were, there were Christian programs for all this, which were tied to biblical responsibility and ethics which were run by private organizations and were handled beautifully from people who actually cared about the people. Well, when the state learned they could buy votes through welfare and theft, they took all that over. You can't compete with somebody who can steal people's money through coercion when you're dependent on charity. And they drove, there used to be all these orphanages. You know, before uh, the state said you could murder your children through abortion, there used to be orphanages, and these children would be placed in Christian families. Total disaster. The goal of statism is, is to destroy the family as the chief instrument of charity, and of course the church. Second, hard work has a number of positive, effective, useful outcomes. Number one, the person dedicated to the Christian concept of work prepares carefully for the future. <clears throat> he plans ahead. He prepares for various contingencies. And he works hard to prepare for those contingencies. Okay, he's future-oriented. Proverbs 6, 6-11 says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain or leader, overseer or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? How long, when will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Okay, what does the ant do? Now the ants don't know this because it's probably by instinct, but ants prepare for the winter before the winter. Bees do the same thing. Insects do the same thing. It's all by uh, instinct that they know they need to provide for the future. The poor mentality places play before work. The poor mentality focuses on leisure and pleasures and places responsibilities on the back burner. Things that need to be done are not done. The person becomes an expert at procrastination. Proverbs 22 13. The lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I will be slain in the streets. In other words, he makes up excuses that are ridiculous to get out of working. No Christian ought to be slothful in his ordinary work. Paul said, Colossians 3.22-24, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as man-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ.
The poor mentality says, I want it even now, even though I cannot pay for it. And they become a slave to the lender with tons of debt. The Bible repeatedly connects laziness with poverty. And I believe, I honestly believe that most people who are poor today are poor due to laziness and not being willing to work hard and use their minds. Number two, the one dedicated to the Christian concept of work carefully upkeeps his property and improves it over time. Like Adam in the garden before the fall, he tends it and he seeks to make it better and more beautiful. Ecclesiastes 10.18 Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. A love of ease and pleasure causes buildings to decay. One drives through the ghetto or poor sections of places like West Virginia, and what do you see? Peeling paint, trash in the yard, unkept yards, roofs that need to be replaced. Now, if you're willing to do the work yourself, painting your house is not very expensive. If you're willing to work on the roof, now I understand there are some roofs that are just really hard, dangerous to work on. If you've got a big second-story house with a steep roof line. But most ranch houses, it's easy to do the roof. If, you, if you're willing to work hard, it's easy to keep your house upkept and keep it from leaking and falling apart. I remember when I lived in Philadelphia, we would drive from... Um, the black neighborhoods, which were just full of trash, graffiti, houses falling apart. And then we'd cross over into these Italian neighborhoods where the houses were painted and they had new roofs and they had flower boxes in the window. We should have a good work ethic. A love of ease and pleasure causes buildings to decay. If man is able to work, there is no excuse for decay and filth. It is an outward sign of an inward spiritual problem. Number three, and I'm not saying make an idol out of your house, but for, you, know, you should build an estate and keep it fixed up and nice and pass it on to your children if possible. Number three, a person dedicated to the Christian work ethic and a godly life will re remove impediments to a good blessed life. Proverbs 15, 19. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns. But the way of the upright is a highway. Indecision, delay, procrastination, sluggishness only adds to life's difficulties over time. Laziness is ruinous in material matters and spiritual issues. Putting off needed duties to the future doesn't make the duties go away. If you need a new roof, it's not going to heal itself. If you need to do something, get it done. Things simply pile up until, until there is a crisis. <clears throat> the hedges are allowed to grow until one is boxed in and cannot escape. If you have seen a house where cleaning has been neglected for several months, one can see the uncut hedges in the dust, the filth, the stench. I'll never forget, We many, many years ago, we preached in a church in the country, out in the middle of the United States. And we stayed in a house, and literally, the dust, I, I didn't even want to sit on the furniture. The, the house had, there was dust 
that was a quarter inch thick and filth everywhere. And I just couldn't believe people could live that way. And then number four. The slothful man will be ruled over by others. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. <coughs> you have to understand, in the ancient times, in biblical times, if you had debt and you couldn't pay the debt, you had to go into indentured servitude until the debt was paid off. They didn't, you couldn't simply declare bankruptcy and rip a bunch of people off, which is what people do now. You had to pay it off. You become an indentured servitude. And it's far better than what we have now. Those who refuse to educate themselves in a trade or a calling because they do not believe in, in delaying gratification to prepare for the future usually work in low-wage, dead-end jobs. Those who look to the state to steal on their behalf so they can collect welfare are ruled over by evil, lying Democrat statists. The diligent, hardworking Christian who uses his brain and prepares for the future will get ahead. He will not be a slave to some status bureaucrat and will be rewarded for his hard work. Proverbs 22:29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. One of the wickedest things about the welfare state is that it rewards laziness. It does. It rewards laziness. It rewards sin. It rewards irresponsibility. It rewards bad decisions. Because they're not... In biblical charity, you always make a distinction between the deserving and undeserving poor. If somebody wants to take drugs and shoot heroin and sit on the street gambling and drinking beer... Uh, he doesn't deserve any charity. But if somebody gets in a car wreck and he bre breaks his legs and he needs some temporary help, there's a big difference between those two people. The state makes no distinction whatsoever. Do you know that the Democrats, uh, the Republicans tried to pass, you know, this, this last round of money that the state gave out, they printed a bunch of money and gave it away to, because of the COVID thing. Uh, the, the Republicans tried to say, well, you can't give it to people in prison. Because it, the guy who murdered those people in Boston, uh, the terrorist, he, he was going to get money. And the states wouldn't let the Republicans, uh, the states made sure that even prisoners, people in, in prison for murder, they got money too. They got the money too. They're against biblical ethics. They're against personal responsibility. They want people to worship the state. And they want to blame everything on those terrible capitalists, those terrible corporations. They reward laziness. They train people not to work hard to get ahead. We see the foolishness of status in their attempts to turn low-wage, unskilled labor jobs into the supposed living-wage jobs simply by coercion. We're going to demand, you know, jobs like McDonald's. We're going to demand that you pay them so much an hour. That's absurd. These are meant to be entry-level jobs. Such jobs in the past were always viewed as entry-level jobs to be used as a springboard to better things. But not so for the status who sees them uh, as... Uh, Everybody in poverty is victims. And then five. The slothful man will have a life of poverty. Proverbs 6, 10 to 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler. And your need like an armed man. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. But he who gathers by labor will increase. 
Now, to obey the fourth commandment, we must work six days a week. That's what it says. We must look at laziness as a sin that affects the whole the whole man. It affects one's family and even one's own future. We must resist sloth in all its forms and all the clever excuses that attend it. We must have the proper Christian dominion mandate mindset. I tell people, don't rent, buy a house. Try to buy a house. Build some equity. Improve the house. Fix it up. Landscape it. Make it better. We must have the proper Christian demand mindset. And we must get up early and get to work. We must also not be lazy about spiritual matters. Hard work and brilliant thinking that brings great riches apart from Christ is vanity. For in the end, one's inventions will be left for believers. We're going to inherit the new heavens and the new earth. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Because of, this, because of sin, the dominion mandate has become a salvific dominion mandate through Christ. The Great Commission, for example, hard work must be directed to developing a Christian culture, agriculture, art, music, education, politics, or civil government. Principles of welfare and foreign policy must be subjected to the authority of Jesus Christ and His law word. In our increasingly pagan, heathen, evil culture, this will not be easy. But we must press forward and be faithful to Scripture. Things they're teaching today would, would be considered insane just 20 years ago. The idea that if you think you're a woman, you are a woman. The idea that if you think you're a man, if you, if you think you're a woman and you're really a man, uh, they even say, they even teach, well, you can have babies, you can get pregnant and have babies. That's insanity. And people who say that you're not really a woman, those people need to be destroyed. That's crazy. It's insanity. It's ludicrous. We begin by self-government and mortifying the sinful flesh. We do not look for inspiration from the heathen, but from the word of God. Lead a disciplined life. Get up early. Work hard. Use your sanctified mind to work in a manner that pleases Christ. By willing to delay entertainment and gratification in order to set up a proper Christian household and get out of debt as soon as possible, you want to establish a Christian estate and leave that Christian estate to faithful Christian children who will continue serving Christ far into the future. A culture or society based on socialism or welfare statism, so-called progressive democratic left, a bunch of fools. Or the status theft, theft ethic is a dying satanic society. The Democratic Party, the modern Democratic Party, which is about the same ethics as the Mafia, turns once beautiful and prosperous cities into hell holes. When I was young, I, I, was, I was raised on the West Coast. When I was young, we used to go to San Francisco all the time. We used to go to Portland, Oregon. Or Portland, Oregon was probably the most, in Seattle, were the most beautiful cities in the whole country. They're gross now. They're gross. Portland is being completely destroyed. 
by left-wing policies because they don't teach biblical responsibility or Christian ethics. They're doing the opposite of serving Christ and his perfect law. And to do that is not freedom, but slavery, degradation, and death. <clears throat> so work is important, beloved. Work for Christ. Establish a Christian household. Establish a Christian family. Establish a Christian estate. Use your money wisely. We don't live for entertainment. We live to serve Christ. Now, there's a place for entertainment. There's a place for relaxation. That's true. But make sure you work really hard, and then you can reward yourself with a little entertainment or a little bit of relaxation instead of the other way around, where people just live for entertainment and live to have fun, and they live in dives. Work hard for Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the Christian work ethic. We thank you for the dominion mandate. We thank you for the cultural mandate. We thank you for the Great Commission. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful, to work hard, but to do so under your law, to do so to glorify your holy name, to do so to place and reward godly seeds, godly children in the future, that they may carry on the service of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.